so this, is, this leads perfectly into our sermon series. We're going into the book of John through seven signs that Jesus is the Messiah. And, uh, and, and we're going through these signs because they're important for us to consider about who Jesus is and how we believe and what we believe in light of that. So, I have a slack question for you. Have you ever thought that something that God did was a fluke or a coincidence? Or, if I ask it the other way, I could say, have you ever said something is a fluke or coincidence and then asked later, maybe, was that God? And if you're able to in Slack, just give it a yes, no, or if you want to, you can just expand just a little bit about what your experience was. Have you ever thought that something that God did was a fluke or a coincidence? Let me pray and then we'll read the text together. God, I thank you that you are an awesome and a powerful God. Jesus, sometimes our worldview is so materialistic and so naturalistic that we forget the power that you offer, the power that we can live in. God, sometimes we forget that you are the God who is all-powerful, and you, you lead us into battle against the enemy. You lead us into victory because of your victory that you won. And so, Jesus, I pray that, that you would speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 4, verse 46 to 54. Use your Bible app or your phone or it'll come up on the screen. John 4, 46 to 54. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The son is. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that the, that the father knew that was the hour, that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus came, or that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The purpose of the story is so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The characters in this real life story will come to the conclusion and invite you to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus is telling us why he is doing the signs. There's a common interpretation in the tone of Jesus, uh, in, of Jesus in the, in the passage that I think we're, we're 
pulling from different contexts. So, so when Jesus says, I, unless you believe signs and wonders, you will not believe, or unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. When Jesus says that in, in the Synoptic Gospels, it's actually a statement of condemnation against the Pharisees. Oh, unless you guys believe signs and wonders, you will not believe. And, and Jesus says, the only sign that will be shown to you is the sign of Jonah. And, uh, but Jesus isn't saying it in the same tone here. He's actually stating it ma matter-of-factly. He's saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Why would I believe that a man is God, the Messiah, unless the man can do what God can do? Why, why would I believe that? And so here we actually see it not as a critique, but as a statement. Unless you see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. And then the man says, come, and Jesus says, go, your son will live. The sign and the wonder is seen, the man leaves. So, so just removing that critical view from your mind, if, you, if that's the way you hear that, that phrase, in this way, it's just a matter of fact. So if Jesus is God, then Jesus must be able to do the things that God can do. I'm showing you signs and wonders because you will not believe that I'm God unless I do that. So whenever a person comes to me and tells me that they're the Messiah, it has happened actually, I don't believe them because they can't do the signs and wonders. They can't do what God does. They actually have no power to save. The Messiah actually has power to save. And so it's quite a simple metric. Actually, 1 John 4 gives us a metric that just says when, 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 when you hear something, you test the spirits to see if they're from God. Any spirit that says that Jesus Christ is Lord is from God, and any spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus Lord is anti-Christ. And so it is against Christ. So if someone raises the dead and then tells me they're the Messiah, I'm going to have a little bit more, okay, let's actually weigh this out. I'm then going to come, is Jesus Christ Lord? And they're going to be like, yes. And then I'm going to be like, okay, so maybe you are a, uh, a partner a brother in Christ, and God has given you this miraculous ability. And so then we're able to, to process through that. However, that's a slight distraction. I want to revisit what your, what your question is. Um, have you ever thought that God, that something God did was a fluke? Um, someone, someone wrote, uh, yes, but then I realized it wasn't. Not after learning to know God's pattern and character. You start to better discern his nudges or workings and what other might call coincidence. You're able to say, no, 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 that's God. I like that, no, 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 in there. That was good. After I became a Christian, I understood that there are no coincidences with God. It's part of his plan. Someone else was wondering how they could stay home to homeschool their kids. And at that exact time, a uh, sister separated from her husband. She asked if I could move into basement apartment or if she could move into the basement apartment and pay rent. And so God used a sad thing to become a blessing for good. Definitely not a coincidence. God's turning things uh, around. And, and, and then one more. You can read these on Slack, but I'll just take one more here. It's often my first reaction. What a fluke. And then you realize that, of course, God knows the end from the beginning, and it's me that doesn't see the plan. See, sometimes we are quick to say, oh, well, that was a fluke. That's just something that just happened. 
Jesus does these signs so that you will believe today. And Jesus is still doing work so that you will believe in him. He is still changing lives so that you will believe in him. He is still setting us free from bondage in, in spiritual battle that Mary was talking about so that you will believe in him. He is still pushing for the good in your life so that you will believe in him. Jesus is still doing signs so that you believe. So that, that's the obstacle to belief in today's world. We're too quick to just say, eh, it was a coincidence. It's an obstacle to, I, I wasn't going to tell you the story, but I am going to tell you the story. Ah, oh, I'm going to, I struggled with, with this reality of something that happened to me as a minister years ago. Um, there are people that, that were with me in the last church I was at. And they know this event. They would corroborate this event. Um, but years ago, when I was a brand new youth pastor, I was at a youth night, and we had an awesome games night planned. And in that awesome games night, a child was hit by a car on Young Street. And it sucked. I think my the board's reaction at that time I can't say from the front. You know, they, they were not happy. They were scared. It was crazy. It was a terrible experience. And this boy gets hit, and he's taken directly down to sick kids. This boy is not okay. Nothing is okay about this situation. And so we send all the parents, we send the kids home, and we me and, and the associate pastor come with me and we go down to sick kids and the doctors are like, this is not good. Nothing is good here. And so they're like, we can, they, they stabilize him in an induced coma and they just keep him there. He's in an induced coma. He has a surgery to reduce swelling in his brain. He's got major brain damage. Um, it's not okay. We go down and visit him every day for two weeks. It's still not okay. The doctors come to us and they say, um, he's not going to make it. His life is over. Call the family together. And so, I don't know how much of this actually anybody knows the actual story that, that's going on. So as we, we call the family together, and the family says, the boy wanted to be baptized. And uh, that, was, that was what he'd been talking about. He wanted to be baptized. He was new to the youth group. He wanted to be baptized. Can we baptize him before we pull the plug? He's got electrodes all over him. I don't know how to baptize a person with electrodes all over him. We just electrocute him. Just <laughs> done. Like, this is not okay. Like, whatever. So, fine. Call up some pastor friends. We, we set up to do a... Uh, an infant-style baptism, a sprinkling baptism, because you can do that around the electrodes. And so we set up a service in the sick kids' chapel, and family members were there, and people were there, and there was like, it was, it was funeral-esque. It was last rites-ish. It was, we're closing the chapter. We're going to do this service. We're going to do this baptism. We're going to commit him into the hands of Jesus. 16-year-old boy. His life is over. He's been hit by a car. And, and 
service ends, and so I take the father, the mother, and the grandma, my associate pastor, and my uh, right-hand leader with me into the room with the boy. And we, oh, we can hear them, good. Uh, And we do the baptism. He's laying there, and, and I put the water on his forehead, and I start to pray. And as I'm praying, I have a vision. That's not normal world for me. I Occasionally, I will see a vision. I'll see an idea. But usually, that has to do with where I'm leading a group or something like that. But no, this time, I had a vision. And it was, a, it was an active picture. And it was this boy in this glorious throne room. And God's voice said to the boy, do you want to be with me? Or do you want to return? And the boy said, I want to return. And my prayer, without me really whatever, changed. Just I just changed course of my prayer. You're not supposed to do that. Minister School 101, you're supposed to help people come to closure in this type of moment. You are not supposed to be inspiring false hope. That was a bad move by my part from a professional perspective. My, my prayer changes, and I pray for a miraculous healing. I pray that this boy's life is not over, that he returns, and that he lives a great life. And then I open my eyes to the look of five faces staring at me, shocked. Like, what did you just do? So thank you very much. We leave the room. Nothing happened. Boy's in a coma. We leave the room. I walk out of that. My associate pastor goes to me, what are you doing? And I go, I, I, I swear, I, I, I saw a vision. This is what is going to happen. And then I said, and if God leaves this guy a vegetable, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> and so we went home. The next day, The doctors called us and told us that in the night he woke up. What a coincidence. The day after that, he started talking. Well, that's a nice coincidence. Six days later, they released him from sick kids into Blue Review Rehab, where he started to relearn very quickly how to walk. He was in rehab for a total of 14 days and released home because he was fine. And and it took me, listen to this, nine years to acknowledge that God had miraculously healed the person. Nine years to be able to state that God had done something that there was no way that I could have done. All I did was, well, that was a nice coincidence. What? Listen to the story. Can we slow this story down and describe the father's desperate need? Some things were were needed. So think about this. As the story happens, the man is 
a father. What are some things that you notice about the person in the text? What are some things that you, that you notice in the text? Someone just asked on Slack an important question while you answer that. What are some things that you notice in the text? Someone asked on Slack, um, your story, Pastor Rob, I've heard many people say in situations like this, well, God did that for them, but not for my family, and they'll use it as a way to argue coincidence. Thank you for that question. Every miraculous engagement of God is done for a purpose. That purpose is to show that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what's going on. That, that God will intervene in a moment to, to make a purpose happen. To show his kingdom now. That's why he's doing it. He has not established his kingdom in completion yet. We wait for the day that Jesus returns, and that's when it's complete. So every time you pray for healing, you are actually praying God's judgment against the evil that is actually right there. And man, God's judgment against all evil is coming. A healing is a foreshadowing of that judgment. So yes, sometimes people are not healed. But God's judgment of all evil has not yet fully happened. There are moments that God uses signs, and this is one of them that we're talking about, this official son. This man is a nobleman. Someone says, the father needs to see God's power and authority in Jesus. Absolutely. He's an official. The man is a man of resource. He has significant rank. He's probably a landowner. He has, he has means, and, and since the economic divide between the haves and haves not is significant, he has means to pray for, to pay for proper medical care. And he probably has done that. We know that the boy is less than 12 years old. The reason we know that is because, because he says, before my child dies. For a father to call his son a child means that they haven't crossed through the rite of passage of making the boy into a man. So he's under 12. First century people were not ill-informed about death and sickness because he was at the point of death. Greeks, Romans, and Jews knew that sickness led to death, and what sicknesses were just viral and people would get ready, uh, they would just recover from it. Because death was a constant. And so this isn't a fake anxiety. Simple understanding of the history will allow you to be sure this boy was indeed about to die. It isn't that he had a simple fever or over-concerned, anxious parent needed Tylenol. The boy was about to die. We, we could suggest that his fever would, would have been over 104. It was something that threatened his life. We know that, that the boy would probably have been listless, non-responsive, right? This is the type of crucial moment that, that we would be like, we have to call the ambulance and get the kid to the hospital now. They know that death is imminent. So how would you describe the father's desperate need? The man is informed with resources, so consider yourself. He leaves his dying son. Would, would, what does it take for you to leave your dying son and say, I'm, I'm going to go almost a day's journey to track down Jesus? How desperate do you need to be? How desperate do you need to be? If his son died, he had to consider that he wouldn't have been present for it. The risk he was taking. It shows faith that Jesus can and will bring 
healing. He didn't send somebody else and so hedge his bets. He went himself. He leaves. And the whole story, just like my story, is told so that you will believe. He, the man already believes. There's no coincidence happened here. This is cause and effect for him. When he arrives to Jesus, he makes his request really clear. Jesus, come down before my child dies. He knows exactly what he's going for here. Come down before my child dies. Have you, have you ever had that moment? Have you ever felt what this man feels? The man turned to Jesus, and John records it so that you will believe. The hope is that Jesus comes to heal, to touch, to visit. If Jesus said this to you, go, your son will live, the man believed the words that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. If Jesus said that to you in anything, go. Your request is met. Would you simply believe? Would you be able to believe if the Holy Spirit lives that in you? Would you be able to believe? There is power in Jesus' word. Your son will live. The expectation was for Jesus to come down to his house to see his child, to touch, to heal. And Jesus took that faith and ultimately just said, well, that's done. It's done now. It's complete. Jesus heals by his word. Look at the theological statement that John is saying right here. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. And as we go into John 4, 1, 14, we see, that, we see that Jesus is the word. We see this connection point. Jesus is the word. And Jesus' word is the power to create heaven and earth. Therefore, John is making a direct connection between the divinity of God and his power of his word to create the world and the divinity of God is power of the word to heal. Power of the word to heal. Jesus' word defines truth. It doesn't predict truth. It defines truth. When Jesus says it, that is actually what makes it true. Jesus said, let there be light, and behold, there was light. Jesus said, your boy will live, and that is now eternal truth. That is truth. When Jesus says it, it is true. The word of God is a power to create. So John has this invested uh, idea of saying, Jesus is God. Look, God creates with his word. Jesus heals with his word. So if Jesus is the Messiah, he can do only what God does. And the father's response, the father amazes me because he just went on his way. Okay, off I go. He's just like, let's go. He didn't have this, he didn't have this moment of, if God leaves this, my son a potato or a vegetable, I'm going to be pissed. He didn't have that moment. He just went, okay. Let's go. And, and they went on his way. I was looking at this. The went on his way is, is actually said in an imperfect sense. So what that means is that he just went on his way. He didn't actually travel directly home. He just went on his way. I'm going to keep on going about my business. He just went on. What? A, wow. 
from the geographical points in the story, we, may, we know that this man could have made it home. The healing happened at 1 p.m. That's the seventh hour. He chose to stay in Galilee that night. He didn't rush home to be with his dying son because Jesus said that the boy was going to live. The man didn't even check. He didn't have a cell phone to be like, hey, did he get better? He didn't even check. He just believed. And when his, when his uh, servants came to find him, it was the next day. He just, that amazes me. Can we just believe Jesus? Can we just believe Jesus? So, Jesus, if Jesus said to you, would you have faith to believe him? If Jesus said this to you, would you have faith? I've heard of many missionaries who leave by God's instruction without money because God said, don't worry, I've got you covered, and leave with nothing, and God provides. So someone actually was, was uh, a youth leader with me, and he's commenting on how he is verifying the story. You know, someone, someone else is asking, how do we not make faith or belief a formula to control God? It's not a formula to control God. It's actually a matter of saying, I can simply believe that God is the one who makes it right. You don't control God. It is God's desire and it is God's promise that he will make it right. You, the, same, the same God that does this as a sign has a firm understanding that all things will be made right. All things will be made right. That evil itself will be destroyed. And we're getting that into that in another sermon series coming up in a couple of weeks. This story is so that you can believe. But we struggle to believe. We think of coincidences. We minimize the sickness. We minimize the way the father would feel. We minimize the real danger because, you know, it wasn't really a bad thing. We just say it's a coincidence. But see, it wasn't just the the man who believed. The brothers and the sisters, the mothers and the servants, they all believed. They saw the same things unfold, but from a totally different perspective. Their perspective was a boy who's dying of a fever, the precious little boy, listless, sweating, blinking slowly, non-responsive, not keeping water down, sw trouble swallowing, shallow breathing. And in the heat of the day, the boy squeak, asking for water. He begins to get better. They saw the steps moving away from death's door. They waited to see if he was the one last, to see if it was the one last final grasp, the moment of lucidity before the final death toll rings. They stayed by his bed. He asked for something small to eat, more water. Eventually, he needed to get up to relieve himself. He's able to move. As the sun goes down, the boy's sweat starts to dry. He sleeps and breathes normally. The mother might have stayed vigilant all night long right beside the son who had been so close to, die, to dying. And in the morning, the boy wakes up and there's life in his eyes. You know that look? 
The mother says, send the servant to the dad because he's recovering. The father doesn't need to worry anymore, but we've already seen that the father believes. And the father already knows. The whole family comes to believe so that you will believe. Today we believe in a God who does miracles, who is active, who will, I promise you, make all things right. This is, this is at the core of our faith, that it is through Jesus that even death itself is overcome, that God is victorious over death and evil, and he is calling to you and saying, you too will be saved if you believe me. The whole book was written so that you would believe. Will you believe? God, I just pray that as we consider the works that you've done, and we, we bring sometimes excuses saying that, oh, they're coincidences. Or we bring accusations saying, oh, God, you're not just because you did this here but didn't do this here. And we miss the story that you are showing us your great power in your great mercy. You're showing us who we are and who you are so that we can believe in you, so that we can be saved on the day when you make all things right, including making me right. God, for all the things in my life as a pastor of Promised Church that you need to make right, Jesus, I pray that you would make them right in me before that final judgment day. For this congregation, for, for the healing that is needed in this congregation, I noted at the beginning of, of the service, the amount of people who were ill, sick, they, they were suffering from germs and viruses and fevers. Jesus, I pray that you would touch with your word, bring healing. Jesus, I pray that, that we would not minimize the healing that we experienced based on coincidence, but that we would see your hand. God, help us make these dots connect. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Connect those dots for us, Jesus. God, I just pray that we would be able to believe you and have trust in you so that we too will be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.